My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. A few weeks ago, Mary Beth and I went to Tuolity Hospital to pick up Heather Brown. Um, she doesn't often go to Tuolity, but she was there because of COVID pneumonia. Pretty serious thing. We've been praying for her as a church. And when we were waiting for her to come out, you know, they said like 3 o'clock pickup time. And it's kind of like a plumber or something. I don't really know. It's an electrician come by. It's kind of like a cable guy. It's like 3 o'clock is like, well, maybe 3 o'clock. 3.45, we're sitting there waiting. We're like, hey, where, you know, we got things to do and we don't want to just shove her in the trunk and get going, you know? And so we're like waiting around. My wife and I are wondering. And so we're there. But while, just before Heather came out, we got to take her home. Um, this young mother and father walked out of the hospital with their brand new baby. And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. Said hi to them and talked to them just a little bit as they were getting in their car. And it brought me back to 20 years ago. Look at this. 20 years ago, my wife, Mary Beth, was wheeled out by a nurse at Tuolity with our baby, our firstborn, Josiah. And this is a picture of him at school at Senate. And we got to have lunch with him yesterday down in Salem and uh, celebrate his 20th birthday, which was Friday. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how that happens. Terry, there's going to be a 20th birthday one day. It should freak us all out, right? It just keeps going, right? I, I, you know, it's just like, whoa, nobody prepared us for that. I mean, we were prepared because we took parenting classes, right? See, and I was a youth pastor. So when I was single and a youth pastor, I knew everything about having kids. I was brilliant. Um, or maybe not. And so, you know, we took parenting classes and they were really good. And then we took birthing classes and, you know, teach how to breathe, and that's all good and everything like that. And then we even went to car clinics where the police came and put the car seat in and showed you how to strap it down and all that stuff so you don't kill your kid on the way home from the hospital. That's important, you know. And amongst all of that, somehow we lost our parenting book. Or the, the hospital didn't provide it. I don't really know. Uh, but it's kind of like nobody really told us how to do this. You had to immerse yourself and figure it out. Kind of like jumping into the deep end of the very freezing pool. It's like learn how to swim, right? 
And it's like that sometimes. If you're a mom or dad, you know that. Maybe you've got a new baby. Maybe a baby's on the way. You're praying for a baby. Or some of you are like, ain't no baby in our life. That's fine too. Maybe you're grandparents already and you're holding your grandbabies. Uh, maybe you're single and, you, and you're like, that's just not a part of my life. That's okay. But, but somewhere along the line, you were born. I have that on good authority. Every one of you were born. And I'm pretty sure. And somewhere along the line, your parents raised you. And they didn't do a half bad job because you're in church, right? And you look decent. And, you know, and you haven't, you know, run anybody over in the parking lot. yet. didn't hear about it today, right? But somewhere along the way, you were raised up. You were raised up. And, um, you know, and, and we do that with our kids. And I don't think we ever feel confident. I read my sermon to Mary Beth last night. I kind of do that to preach to her because she needs it more than any of you do. No. <laughs> That's not true. I read it to her because then she fact checks me and she goes, that was dumb. Change that one. Um, but, you know, we were talking about the fact that even on our good days, we don't feel like we're doing a good job. Right. It's like you try, you try, you try and you look and you go. Oh. And I talked to a lot of folks after the first service and they thanked me for this message. But there's lament over, boy, there are moments I wish I could take that one back or do that one over again or did I do enough? I understand that. Somewhere along the way, God bless us with a couple more awesome sons. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we just are thankful that God gave us boys. We we're supposed to have a girl. We didn't have a girl. And so, you know, that's, that's fine, I guess. Maybe, maybe girls were too much for me to handle. I don't know. But we had three boys, 2018 and 16, and soon they'll all be in college and then I'll be broke. <laughs> And then they'll be on their own, and you'll look back and you go, whoa, where did that time go? Did I do what God wanted me to do? Well, I want to talk today about the fact that that can be really challenging. And I know in my own life, I didn't have the best model of a father for raising sons, because that was a broken relationship and abusive and all that stuff. And so along my journey, I had to go to other men. I went to a lot of men at Sunrise, some people in my life who'd been mentoring me. The breakthrough, I mean, I read books and watched videos and all that stuff, you know, Dobson and all that, but, but the breakthrough was men's fraternity. When I discovered that all those years ago and we started bringing that into the culture of our church, it taught me what a real man was and what a, a challenge it was to do that in the face of the culture we live in. And then it, it, it modeled biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and it talked about that and it, it drove it towards that. And then the question was, how will you raise godly sons and raise godly daughters along the journey of that? And, you know, it was just when, you know, we were just, you know, getting married and, and then having kids. It was like, man, there was so much. And then there were, there were habits and exercises. There was one thing that was amazing called a dad's plan in the second year called Winning at Work and Home. It was a dad's plan. And, and it was this idea that at every age or stage of your kid's life, they're going to need certain things and going to need to know things. They're going to have to have habits and all that stuff, relationships and conversations. And so, you know, early on, set out a plan on a piece of paper and it's like, okay, when they turn six, you know, we're going to do this. And, you know, when they turn, you know, 12, Mark Twain says, put them in a barrel and feed them through a hole. And when they turn 18, just plug the hole. No, um, when, you know, when they turn 12, let's have the puberty conversation and the conformity and the whole inferiority. And then, then this, and then this is 16 and 18 and things like that. And, you know, you, you do your best and, and our guys have gone on retreats and, you know, things like that. And, you know, they're, they're weird and awkward. And I guarantee none of you ever feel like you got it right right? Because we don't feel like that. 
we're like, oh, man, it could have been different. It could have been better. And, and I don't even want to ask my kids what they think about it. Um, but, but it's like you're striving for something. You're desiring something. And you're pouring your heart into it. You're leaning into it. And you're just saying, God, please make up for the deficiencies in my life. You know, no one ever gave us a manual. And yet we had to take the final. And then once we took the final... We look back and we find the textbook and we're like, what if I could have? I totally get that, friends. Sometimes it feel like, feels like on the best day you're just guessing. On the best day you're like, I could just use a nap. In fact, that was the best parenting. We felt like we were the best parents when our kids were sleeping. Look at that. They're not crying. Nothing's going wrong. Or when we took a nap, right? It's like, oh. It's a challenge to raise Sons and daughters, not just who turn out to be good citizens, okay, that's great, turn out to be good members of our culture and our society, right? That would be great. We need more of those, right? Who's stealing catalytic converters all of a sudden? You know, we need more kind people. That's great. But, but that's a low bar when it comes to following Jesus. The high bar is we want to raise sons that look like Jesus and daughters that look like Jesus and think and act and feel and make decisions that would bring honor to Jesus and have an outcome that changes us and others, right? That's our whole desire. You know, since I was a youth pastor, one of my mantras was this, God calls parents to be the main disciple makers of their children. God calls parents to be the main disciple makers of the children. Not the only disciple makers, but the main disciple makers of the children. That means that moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas, thank God for schools, but you can't give it on the teachers or counselors at schools, okay? Uh, thank, thank God for the rest of the family, but you can't just dump it on them, right? I mean, I thank God for the other groups and such that support and care for us. I mean, even the church, right? Children's ministry, youth ministry, that's great. It's so important. It's so critical. I think we got great children's and youth ministry. But don't just dump it on them to do the work God has called you to do. And it's a pretty fearful thing. Um, not, not long ago, um, my wife and I were responding to a need, and, and a, a husband and wife, mom and dad, had several kids, been here a long time. They, they've moved away now, but um, there was a problem with a, a teenager, and it was kind of a crisis. And so... Um, and so I said, let's just go out and talk. So we went to Starbucks, and while Mary Beth was talking to her, I was talking to him. And um, so I'm like, well, just kind of tell me what's going on. And, and then it led to some questions. They said, well, um, what does it look like for you to disciple your children? And he, he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, what does it look like for you to read the Bible or pray with them? He goes, well, I haven't done that. And I'm like, okay, so uh, do you guys ever do like, devotions at dinner time or anything like that, get a kid's Bible or whatever? He goes, no. And the more I asked questions, the more he said no, the more I had this moment in the very end of the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah railed against the parents that didn't raise their kids to follow the Lord. And it says, literally, this is a Bible verse to apply in moments like this. He drugged them to the ground, he punched them, he kicked them, and he pulled their hair out. That's in the Bible, by the way. And within me, I'm wanting to have that moment. I'm like, what did you do? He goes, well, we brought him to church. And I'm like, oh, you just thought the church was going to fix everything? That's not the way to do it, moms and dads. You need the church, but you need to disciple your children. And again, I know it's tough. I know it's hard in this day and age because some of you don't know about all the technology and don't know about all the influences and, and you're wondering what's going on and the influences through phone and tablets and computer. I totally get that. But we are the main disciple makers of our children. And what God is calling us to do, and we're going to see today, I'll sum it up. He's calling us to do our part. Just our part. Because he promises to do his part. 
And in as much as you can model it and live it out, your kids can do their part. And um, it's hard sometimes when you feel like you did all your part and then your kids didn't do their part. And this might be a very discouraging message to some of you. It might feel really depressing. But I want you to know I think it's really encouraging because it's never too late as a disciple. And some of you are like, I ain't never going to have kids because I've seen yours, Gleason. I'm like, that's fine. I understand. <laughs> no. This is like an awesome discipleship passage. Forget the kid part. Think about discipling other people. It's awesome for that. So there's tons of applications in this. You know, the reality is, is that we create an environment and we create this place and things can grow. My wife's so good at that. Um, we're leaving our farm soon and, um, you know, selling that. And she, we had grapes and blueberries and garden beds and trees and all that stuff and flowers. They're blooming now. And, and you know, you do your work. It does its work and God does its work. And, and that's kind of that relationship. So that's all God is asking you to do. But if you don't do your part, don't expect God to make up for that because that can be a challenge. Today we're going to see how God gives to each mother and father the responsibility to love and to follow him first. And then as that flows out into your family. Now what I'm going to tell you is not a promise. There are a lot of promises in the Bible. This is more of a principle and this is a pathway to follow. And I can't guarantee. And in fact, if you read more in the book, you'll discover they didn't do it. And the sky went dark. <laughs> and the spiritual temperature of the kingdom of God went really dark for a long period of time. But there's also light if you take a step in that direction. And if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know any of this stuff, and you feebly walk along, man, join the family. <laughs> we all feebly walk along, but we walk together in the direction. Okay, enough talk. Let me show you God's word. It's Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. This is how it starts. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations. Those are the three different words that talk about all that God has given in his commandments. Okay, 613 of those commandments, not just 10, but there's a lot of them. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is like a retelling, and it's the final big picture sermon that Moses gives before the people of Israel, the children of Israel, go in the land. He doesn't get to go, but he's reminding them of everything. In fact, it's a great book. It's Jesus' favorite book. That and Psalms, he quotes it all the time. In fact, Jesus quoted one of the things from this, okay, some words from this today. So it's a great book. And so if you've made it through Leviticus and Numbers, God bless you in our daily Bible reading. That's a miracle right there. The Deuteronomy is a beautiful breath of fresh air, but you might have heard some of it before. It's a retelling of all of it and a summation. And so he says, this is everything God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live, because they're going to go into a pagan land. They're going to go into a place that's not like a godly place, easy pickings for following God, right? They're going to go into a challenging, challenging place. And he says, this is not just for you, and this is not just for your children. This is also for your grandchildren. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. That's a, it's a Deuteronomy thing. If you do this, God promises to do this. If you do this, God promises to do this. It's such practical, like if you follow and obey him, he'll cause the rains to fall. If you do this, the crops will grow. 
Don't worry about that. God's got that covered. You just do this. You do this. It's an if-then situation. And that's what God's saying. You do these things and you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely. This is an interesting word we're going to see in a second. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. That's what Moses' heart is in this text. He's trying to share, you're going to go in, you're going to conquer the enemy, you're going to possess the land, you're going to divide it, you're going to have your own place, but I want you to know something before you get there. you got to hear this one last time. It's kind of like a farewell speech as it is. And now we move into Moses' discipleship pattern and pathway for moms and dads or just anybody, and it's beautiful. Look what it says. It says, Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. This milk and honey explains that it's an agricultural land and it's a great place for livestock. It's going to have everything you need. It's very simple. It's agrarian, but it's going to have everything you need. Now, then he goes into this. He says, listen, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. Some other translations say, hear, O Israel. It's the same word. It's the idea to pay attention, to listen to listen, O Israel. This is known as the Shema because in Hebrew, that's what that word is. Shema, O Israel. Okay? So this is, this is beautiful. Listen to this. Listen or hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. He's one. He's unified. There's not many gods. You're going to a place with a lot of gods. No, this is really only one God. This is monotheism. One God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. This Shema is, is recited every morning and every evening by every faithful Jewish person today. Thousands of years, millennia now, they've been saying this. They wake up in the morning, they go to bed. It's a special prayer. In fact, in Orthodox Jewish homes, even today, little boys, when they're first learning to speak, this is what they're memorizing. A little child, the first words they say and that they can remember, parents drill into them the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. This is what God wants for you. As followers of God, we're called to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our strength, which is kind of odd because how is it possible to command someone to love? Isn't love like a feeling? Isn't love like a mysterious thing that either maybe is there or maybe not there, you know, isn't love some kind of a, you know, you got to pour into it. Yeah, it's, it's that, but it's also something you can do. It's an act of the will. In fact, love is a command. Love is an active thing. We're told to actively love God, just like we're told to actively love others. We choose to put God first and then treat others with the same love that we have for God and that God has for us. We love God, we serve him, we honor him, we obey him. That's the highest privilege we could ever have as his creation. He's the creator God, right? He's called us into a loving relationship, not about obedience devoid of a relationship or devoid of love, but obedience in combination with that relationship that comes together. And so I would just ask you, when you think about the Bible or when you think about God, is that a fearful thing or is that an exciting thing? Do you relish reading the Bible. I don't know how many feet of the Bible you read. Please don't put that on social media and boast about that, okay? I think it'd be a lot to read a lot of that, right? But I've been reading it every day for the last 35 years, and I love it. I love it. I get up, and I, I read it, and it's like, wow. No, not every day. There's some stuff I'm like, I didn't get anything out of that, okay? There are those days, all right? That was Leviticus, okay? But, but the rest of it, you're like, wow, God's talking to me, and it's thousands upon thousands of years old. It's God's love letter to us, 
And then Moses moves into the next phase of discipling. He says this, repeat them. This is so important. Repeat them again and again to your children. Literally, that's the word impress. Impress them upon your children. Think about like grabbing some clay or, or grabbing in their culture a stone tablet and engraving the law on a tablet. That's what it means. Engrave it on their hearts. Impress it on their hearts. Repeat it so much that it becomes theirs. Repeat them over and over again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road in your minivan. That's in the Hebrew. It's hidden. Uh, when you're going to bed and when you're cleaning the french fries out of the minivan and when you're getting up. And I mean, this is like basically Moses says, you should impress God's laws in his heart, his teaching. And as Shane said a couple weeks ago, we think of law as a negative, but it's his teaching, his heart for us. Over and over and over and over again. Like when you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're doing this, you're doing that. Just like at all times. It should be the normal overflow of your heart because you love God, right? And so you should be talking about God. I guarantee when you were single and you found someone you loved, you would not shut up about that person, right? You talked or about your hobbies or about your crypto or about your, about your something, right? Right? Aren't we always talking about that kind of CrossFit or something, right? We're always talking about something. Well, it should be God. It should be overflowing from our life. Talk about it all the time. Talk to your kids about it when they get up, when they go to bed, at dinner time, in the breakfast time, when you're going for a walk, when you're driving in the car. Just impress upon your children God's beautiful love and his law. And then he says, tie them to your hands. We'll talk about this later. And wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. He says this would be such an important part of your life that it's normal and natural. And what he says is we're responsible to meditate, to dwell on God's commandments to the point where they flow out of us. And that takes a while, especially if you're a new believer in Jesus. I mean, it's a big book, and there's a lot of stuff. And some of it can be really hard to figure out how to process. I totally get that. Um, but if you're, even if you're a brand-new believer, you could start reading the Bible. I have the privilege of doing that with a friend of mine, just walking through verses and talking about it. It's just like, you know, it's like you get it, right? Maybe you're in kindergarten with the Bible. That's okay. One day you'll have a graduate degree. That's all right. Don't worry about that. Just fall in love with God. Parents in particular, we've call, been called to talk about God all the time. But it can't be done in a hypocritical way. Because <laughs> your kids know you, the real you, right? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, one of my goals in life was not to raise pastor's kids, if you know what that means. I want to raise just kids that love Jesus, right? Not have this undue pressure on them. Because it, you just want people to fall in love with the Jesus you fall in love with, right? So talk about it all the time. Impress it on them. It's, notice this is not passive. It's very active. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to have to be a continual and intentional pressing in of something. It's a practice, right? Just continually communicate God's love, your personal love for God. Just talk about it. And I know, I'll just say this. I'll, I'll beat on men. We're really bad at that. We can talk about sports all day long. We can talk about work all day long. And we get home and we shut down, right? Man, notoriously, maybe you're the exception. Great, don't tell me because you'll embarrass the rest of us. But it's like we kind of go passive, right? And we get back home and we sit down and we're tired. Yeah, sure. Um, or if you're the wife that works, you're tired, sure. Okay, you both work, you're both tired, sure. But you can't just sit back and let somebody else do this. God's put this on your responsibility list. Continually impress it of God's love and God's laws. It can't be accidental. Ultimately, a child has to own their own faith. There's no question about that. 
but they're more readily able to do that when you've owned your own faith. You can't raise perfect kids because your parents raised you, right? And you're not perfect. But you've figured out a way to move forward and God is blessed, right? So do that. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I know this is hard for fathers. I get this. But a, cool, a really cool father, his name was Abraham Lincoln, said it this way. He said this. There is just one way to bring up a child in the way you should go, and that is to travel that way yourself. That's good. That's really good. He said that on the internet. I think he put it out on Instagram last week. I'm not really sure. But it definitely is an Abraham Lincoln quote. Communicating faith to your child begins with your own love for God. And, and you know how that word impress was the idea of writing it on tablets of stone? Here's the picture. You need to write it on tablets of stone, but it has to move and come from a tablet of heart. It has to come from your, your, your flesh, your beating heart, that's tablet that God's written on, and then it's transferred to their heart. You don't want to just have them recite laws. You want them to live and love God's laws. Now, none of us are perfect, right? Again, talk to me about, about this. We're like, even on good days, is it going to work? I don't know. Some of you have had kids far, you know, older than us, and, and you're sitting there, and some of your kids have gone astray, and you're wondering, and you've tried, and I talked to a dad afterwards. He goes, I did everything, and, and yet, you know, this, and I'm like, yeah, but you got to keep doing it. It's never too late. He goes, and I apologized to my kids for what I didn't do. I'm like, that's awesome. Just be real and just be honest there. But ultimately, your kids have to own their own faith. Now, again, this is a perfect discipleship model, even if you take the kid part out, okay? If you got no kids, don't want kids, don't even like being around kids, you know, this is good. Check this out. Moses' discipleship model. This is his call to discipleship. Number one, it's this. He says, understand God's teaching and authority in your life. So, 72 feet of social media a day. Who, who's the boss in your life, really? How much do you read and reflect on God's word? Because I think... <laughs> We're reading and reflecting on a whole lot of words, okay? So I, I don't know that you could ever get to read the Bible more than, I understand that. We all have lives and jobs, I get that. But do you regularly read and reflect on God's word? You personally, for your own walk with God, do you find a time to carve it out? I talked to this dad yesterday and he talked about, my wife and I do that in the morning and when our kids get up, they see us. And I, I understand that, you know? I, I got up this morning, you know, and, and just do that and maybe they'll see you maybe not but do they do they see that you really are doing it do you daily own it who's the boss in your life ultimate authority now who's the ultimate authority who's the one who decides is it god or you are you willing to and are you continually submitting to god's truth that's a tough one especially when culture says to do something else Number two, integrate those beliefs into your daily life. This is when you love it and you live it and you live it out and you walk it out. And this is where, where Jesus adds another one. He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? Then love your neighbors yourself. So your heart, and this is what I do when I uh, have this. I, I do it when I, before I preach and when I come to church and everything, get up in the morning. How's, how's my heart? How's my emotion? How's my passion? Uh, where, where's the affective part of my theology? Is it that I'm just falling in love with God more? You fall in love with God more and things will just line up, right? Just, just draw close to God and he'll make things clear, all right? What are you drawing close to? Your soul, that's like the spiritual component. Are you feeding it? Are you nurturing it? Your mind, the intellectual side, what are you partaking of? How much of other stuff is good or bad? And are you willing to have this, you know, Holy Spirit moment where the Bible says, teaches us to say no to ungodliness? And you don't have to have somebody else look over your shoulder and tap you on the hand. 
just like, no, I'm learning to say no. I'm growing in that. And then strength. Strength, you can say physical, but it's more like that passion, that pursuit. What drives you, what, you know, just you compel yourself to head towards. Is that what you love? That's what Jesus said. That's the number one command out of all the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then finally, number three, model it. Just model it. Walk. Walk it out. Model what it looks like to live according to God's commands. Only then, when you've done one and two, does three flesh out. Now, it comes through repetition and pressing, and, and he gives these examples. And so just, this will be back in the text. We don't have to go back there. But he says, talk about them all the time. Repeat them or impress them over and over and over again. Write them on tablets of stone or, you know, in your conversations or in your heart or whatever. Um, but then he says, tie them, which is kind of cool, uh, to your forehead, to your hand. Which, interestingly enough, Jews from that moment began doing literally. And you see this by the time of Jesus. And even today, I have a pair of uh, tefillin or known as phylacteries, which are, is a prayer box. It has some scripture in it. And then you wrap it around your wrist and everything like that. I have it for, uh, you know, teaching and things like that. It's not kosher because they had to take the part out because I'm a Gentile. I'm a goy. I'm a Gentile. I'm not allowed to have it. Okay. But it's a, it's a reminder, right? If you see, you know, a faithful Jew, they're walking to synagogue, you know, uh, here in Hillsborough, right? And um, they've got that. You know, faithful men, they have that. Well, basically what it means is your thoughts and your actions, your habits, what you're putting your work to, your hands to. Tie them to your heart, your mind, your soul, your pursuits, right? And then he says, write them on the doorposts of your house, your gate. Isn't that interesting? It's like everybody who comes by your house or walks through your house should know that you love God. Now, that'd be really practical going into a foreign land, right? Another culture to where there are a lot of other gods. And when people walk up to your gate and walk through and go to your door. Now, today, they actually literally do that with a thing called a mezuzah. And they put the scripture there, all right? Those things can be mystical, though. It's supposed to be practical, you know? Not, not dismissive of that. I'm just saying that make it real and practical, not just a religious habit. If anybody came by your house, would they know? that Jesus resides there in your life? What, what way do you impress it upon your family? Uh, years, many years ago, I had this desire for this passage from Joshua, the end of Joshua, um, and uh, painted on the walls. And um, painted on the walls, and then my wife and I spent a long time painting another, some Psalm 1 with this big tree. And now that we're moving, we had to paint over it, which is like breaking our hearts. You know, it's just like, almost blasphemy. It's like we're painting over God's word. But, but thankfully, I had covered myself because I had painted on my new house wall, and so I feel okay. That's a little bit of a joke right there. Um, I don't live in guilt most days. Um, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24. And so we put it on our new house and put some old barnwood up, and, and now that we live in the house, it's just right there. It's anybody could come by and see it. We have it, a little thing we're putting on our door. We had it on our door. It's like we just want everybody to know. We're not like boasting about it. We're not like saying, and you suck, and we're so much better than you. You know what I mean? I can't. <laughs> I just said that. Um, um, I thought it, but I didn't think I'd say it. Um, and so, you know, it's like, <laughs> impress them. That's really impressive. Um, how do you write it? How do you write it on your walls, your doors, your life? How do your neighbors know it? Do they know it? They should know it is what he's saying. It should be a constant reminder. Now, I know, trust me, I feel like 
we don't do enough. You feel like you don't know. I sat with a, a dad yesterday and we we're having coffee and I said, what do you guys do? And he said, man, my wife and I are reading this devotional to our little kids and they're just little toddlers and, you know, rugrats and, and, um, and we do this and we do this. And, and I don't know what you do. Man, maybe we should be sharing that on Facebook. Not to boast, but to say, this worked for me. Because we've shared a lot with parents. Like, this is a good book that we use. This is something that didn't work. We tried. We thought it'd be great. It didn't work. It was a waste of time. You know, here's something that worked. And here's, at this age, this worked. And here's, I've given resources away on that time. You know, that preparing for adolescence time and things like that. Here's something that worked for us. Awkward, but it works. You know, just what are you doing? What are you actively doing? Uh, one of the things that uh, Mary Beth said last night, I think is so good, um, that I, I, I hadn't even thought about, it's like camp, sending your kids to camp. Our boys love summer camp. It's not cheap. Guarantee it's not cheap. But if you send your kids away a week at camp and they get this deep immersion in Jesus, it's unbelievable. Don't negate spiritual experiences like that. They're huge. Youth group, it's huge. Quality time is an accident that happens in quantity time. I've been known to say that a lot. Quality time is an accident that happens in quantity time. Spiritually, it's true. Spiritual quality time, you just can't make up. You gotta have a lot of spiritual quantity time and then something shows up. You're like, I can't believe I had that conversation. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, those are just wonderful accidents, but you gotta do it all the time and press it. It's active, not passive. It's intentional, not accidental. I wanna close with this verse. This is Deuteronomy 30. This is the end of the sermon. Uh, literally for me today as well as, as uh, approaching that with Moses. He says, this command I'm giving you today, this, this whole book, this command is not too difficult for you and is not beyond your reach. To which I want to say to you, this is not that hard to put into practice. You, I don't think you'll ever feel like you're doing a great job, but it's not too difficult. It's really not too difficult. And it's not beyond your reach. You have a church family that wants to do this with you. We have small groups. We have parenting workshops. We have classes. Man, if you're a dad, if you're a father, don't go passive on this. If you want to work through some of this, man, please email me, jamesg at isunrise.com. I'll send you over to Bill Brooks because he does our men's ministry. And I'm telling you, it's unbelievable how we can walk with you. The men had breakfast yesterday and there was bacon there. Come on, right? You know, which I'm so glad of the book of Acts. It allows us to have bacon. That's so good. Um, but, but we want to walk with you on this journey. Loving God and keeping his commandments is not difficult. It is not beyond your reach, but you need to lean forward and press into it. Jesus modeled how to live and act and feel, how to love, and God has given us his word. All the commands are right there. We just need to read them, and he's given us his Holy Spirit. Never forget that inside of us to walk this out, to actually live it. Now, honestly, you can't live it if you don't have God in you because it's not about religion. And you can have all the outward trappings and obey all the laws and not have a heart for God. You've got to get, you know, the horse in front of the cart. And so I would hope you'd do that. If not, we'd love to pray with you to find out more about Jesus. But basically, this is what I want to close with. Just fall in love with Jesus. Just fall in love with Jesus as the number one priority in your life. And let that leak out to everyone around you, including your kids or your grandkids or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. Those are so blessed, so much blessings for us. My wife's brothers are perfect for that. They, they're such great examples of that. Leak that out. Be, maybe be a surrogate grandma. That's Heather Brown for us, for our kids. And she's been there all those years for our boys. They love her as a grandma. And she's feisty if you've ever met her. I'm telling you, just do it, right? It's not that hard. 
if we just lean forward and do it and we can do it together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the instructions that you've given us about loving you first with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And if we do that, we just gotta talk about it. We just gotta live it. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta say it. We gotta spray it. We gotta do all that stuff to where that's just a normal part of our life. Not in a proud, boastful, arrogant way or hyper-religious way. No, it's just you are so important to us that we can't not share you. So we pray as we worship and as we go to the Lord's table, your table, that we own it first. And if not, I pray that you would impress upon us that, that we would know you first and foremost, and then walk with you. We pray in your name. Amen.